Hey everyone, it's Matt. And this is Lucas. And this is Thanks for Playing. The podcast where we break down the most iconic video games the world has to offer. Ho! You know, as we start recording that, I kind of realized like, man, we hardly ever have any fun with our with our intro. You know? Yeah, you gotta I keep tried it adding a little bit of flair, a little bit of flair. I know, but we're we're part of like, people's routines imagine, and schedules. Imagine your dragoon, right? Dragoon, one of our one of our favorite fans. You know, imagine your dragoon and you know, you're starting your morning commute and you put on that that podcast and you hear me get crazy like I just did there. Yeah. He's gonna be shook. That, yeah, he's gonna be too he's shook. Gonna be it's, shook. Not, it's not gonna be right. No. I mean, that's a, like I mean, I feel like when I well, just peek behind the curtain, everybody, I, I remember like making a very like big point like matt like when we first started the podcast like we got to make sure that we nail the intro music and the intro every time because i know that when i listen to podcasts like the intro really frames like a lot of things up like i don't know it's a podcast intros are a delicate thing because one of my one of my favorite podcasts they changed up their intro music for like a season like a year stop listening bullshit i'm not kidding i'm not kidding damn Dude, it's wild. it's like a it's a delicate balance, and then they brought back the old music, and it was like a different season, so I guess you can change the music, but it it brings in the mood, you know, it like establish, it frames it up, it like makes you feel familiar again. It's just weird when you change up the intro too much. I don't know. It's like a a worm blanket. Yeah, yeah, that's right, that's right, audience. <laughs> We're like your a, warm like blanket, a, like a pig in a blanket. You know, right. Little hot dogs with <laughs> croissants around them. You ever mm. eat those? Yeah, we're the dough. You guys are the uncle. Always make them. Yeah. Yeah. They're good. You're the hot dogs, everyone. Congrats. Yeah. <laughs> Man, we should probably move off this topic. Uh, get <laughs> to the next thing. <laughs> All right. Um, so I, I felt a little inspired by Lucas's breakdown he did on um, Jesus. Uh, Reggie, Reggie. Fisaime, uh, King, King Reggie. And I wanted, you know, I've been thinking about kind of what I want to do with um, one of my topics, you know, and find something that I really am like, oh, I don't want to say passionate about, but like super just interested in, right? And something that I want to dive into personally. And I was kind of like looking back at some of the games we always do or the games that we've done for the podcast and the games that have like really interested me personally. And one of the games I think about the most that we've done for the podcast is Killer 7 by Grasshopper Studios. Directed by Suda51, also known as Goichi Suda, uh, proper name. And for those of you that aren't familiar with Killer7, I highly recommend before you finish listening to this podcast, you go back and listen to our Killer7 episode. A very, very good episode. Um, Killer7 is an incredible game. It is one of a kind. I don't think you'll ever see anything like it get made again. Um, and it is kind of just lives rent free in my head. <laughs> it really does. It is just every now and then I'll just think about that game or a, a quote will pop up in my, in my brain or like a moment from it. And it's just, I don't know it, I, it to me that really is an example of games as art. It is just such a unique little blip in gaming history for me. and such a unique piece of, of a, a, a unique game, right? hundred um, percent. So, and you know, the, it doesn't stop there really. Guichi Suda, um, Suda 51 is a bit of a, 
um, I don't want to call him a mystery, but enigmatic because he he's very enigmatic, and in some ways, I almost want to say kind of a troll. Um, just kind of like with the demeanor he has in some of his interviews and like some of the answers he gives about things sometimes, but just a very enigmatic kind of guy that really clearly just, you know, goes to the beat of his own drum and just makes the games he wants to make, which I think is so important because we don't really have a lot of that these days. You know, it's so focused on how can we monetize this with loot boxes. Right. And, uh, I really appreciate creators like, uh, Goichi Suda, Suda 51 that really stick true to kind of what they'd love to do in the games they know um, and want to make. Yeah. So we're going to do a little little breakdown of Goichi Suda, um, kind of just like a brief look at him, his life, and his career. Um, really not kind of hard to find a lot of details on his early life, actually. So glance over that pretty lightly, um, and then we'll get into kind of just some of his most iconic games in his career, and we'll go from there. So sounds good. Goichi Suda was born. Oh, and I should mention first, everyone, if you haven't already, tell a friend about the podcast. Uh, we'd love to bring more wonderful people like yourself into the fold here. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter, TikTok, Instagram at TFP Podcasts. That's at TFP Podcasts, then S at the end. Find the link to our Discord in our link trees there. Um, she doesn't email thanks for gmail.com or follow, um, go check out our website, thanksplaying.live. Um, over there, you can also find the link to our Discord. So come hang out. It's a good time. Tell your friends about the podcast, leave a review, do all the good stuff, and we'll get into it. All right. Alrighty. Goichi Suda, born in Nagano, Japan, um, January 2nd, 1968. Uh, as I mentioned, his early life is not that well known. Um, he initially worked as a funeral director as well as a grave digger before really deciding to pursue games. Um, really came to fruition with a game called Super Fire Pro Wrestler, which we'll get into it a little bit here, a little bit more. Um, <laughs> eventually, he opened a uh, his own studio called Grasshopper um, in March of 1998. And it wasn't really until Killer7 that he really kind of got all the attention he deserves. So we're going to get a breakdown some of his career here and just see where the conversation takes us. So as I mentioned, Suda... Uh, Suda 51 worked at a funeral parlor. He worked as a grave digger and was driving trucks with funeral supplies in the back. And, you know, I don't know exactly uh, how it went or what the conversation with his wife was like, but his wife kind of asked him, you know, Suda 51. <laughs> that was, that's what she called him. <laughs> Suda, in an American accent as well. Her voice yeah. got really deep when she said it too. Hey, Suda 51. Suda 51. Uh, yeah. What do you... <laughs> Sorry, go ahead what do you really want to do? You know, I don't, I don't think it's many young boys dreams to, you know, work, um, at a funeral company and Suda knew and that he wanted to go into games, but he was unsure how to do it. And he knew this because he kind of seemed to work some odd jobs before he got into working, um, in the funeral business. He actually worked, uh, at Sega for a short bit on like a contract gig where he was designing brochures. Um, and over there he actually met Suzuki Yu. Um, and Suzuki Yu was one of the people working on virtual racing and basically just asked for his input and design on it. And then, once Suda got there and like saw how Sega was being ran, he was kind of just blown away by it. You know, seeing all these young people just listening to music while they work, messing around kind of. 
And I, I think especially from, you know, traditionally Japanese workplaces are very conservative as far mm-hmm. as like how things are. Um, and I'm not being saying conservative in the political sense, but conservative just in like very traditional, you know, very cookie cutter by the book, not a lot of room for creativity. Um, but you know, he was just enamored by kind of the, um, the freedom that was being seen. He saw at Sega and he wanted to get into games, but you know, and I get that, right. You know, you're going to the guy that internet blizzard here, right. Thinking it would be amazing. And, you know, to its credit, like when you first arrive at these companies, it is pretty incredible, you know, and like being surrounded by people that, you know, while it didn't work out for me, ultimately, it, there is something to be said for being surrounded by people that have the like same interests as you, the same general passions um, day in and day out. That is a really cool experience, um, especially when you're working with your own peers. That's awesome, too. So he went home, um, you know, from this job, he talked with his wife and he's like, all right, you're right. I guilty. I don't want to be a funeral director. Um, so he started looking through a magazine for jobs and he ended up getting an interview at a company called human, a gaming company. Initially, as many of us are in job interviews, he was denied. And, you know, he's kind of, it was just beating around the bush thinking, ah, miss Suda 51. They don't want me. What do I do? She's like, just give him a call. Give him a call. See what's cracking. So he did the beautiful follow-up call. And the reason they hadn't got back to him actually was the director of the game, Fire Pro, had quit. So things were kind of obviously slowed down and on hold. And, you know, Suda51 was like, hey, look, I get things are slowing down. I love pro wrestling. I have a history with this stuff. I'm familiar with it. Not Maybe not history is not the right word, but I'm familiar with it. And I want to work with you on it. So eventually they brought him on as a writer and senior writer for the super fire pro series. Um, and first he worked on super fire pro wrestling three, the final bout, but where he really got his, um, really got kind of his notoriety from was a game called super fire pro wrestling special. That was released in 1994. Insane. Now, if you listen game. to our killer insane game, if you listen to our killer seven episode, um, you might be somewhat familiar with this. And I know this isn't a, a full game episode, but I do kind of want to run through the story of this just because I think to really kind of understand the mind of a suit of 51, it kind of, how he can make a game like killer seven and how he can be the kind of person to come up with this kind of stuff. And then you have to understand um, this game and why it put him on the map. So very quick synopsis spoilers for super fire pro wrestling. If you haven't played the game. So, well, first off the main character is named Smith Mario because you guessed it. He loved the Smiths, which I only know that band because of 500 days of summer. Um, oh, you don't I know this. You, you haven't listened to a lot of this. I haven't, I haven't really listened to a lot of the Smiths. Oh, I showed them 500 days of summer. So it's definitely one I got to, uh, I thought, to uh, into. I thought every guy in college had a little bit of a Smiths phase. Thought that was like a, like a typical thing, but, uh, no, check out no I was still man. listening to Good. panic at the disco. <laughs> <laughs> Great band. I'll give you, I'll give you, uh, some Spotify links after this, but, uh, good stuff, you know, somewhat of a problematic, uh, front man there, but, uh, yeah, no, good, good band. Uh, I, I mean, not not very surprising that he's a big Smiths fan. I'll be honest. <laughs> Hell yeah! Alrighty, so 
the story of Super Fire Pro Wrestling follows Smith Mario. Um, and this game is just kind of uncharacteristically dark. So you start as a rookie Smith Mario working your way to the World Championship of Wrestling. Along the way, though, tragedy repeatedly strikes. And with a string of defeats, you know, the murder of your coach, the accidental f- death of one of your friends in the ring, at your own hands, no less. And after all that, just before the championship match, not only does your girlfriend leave you, but the defending world champion, Ric Flair, also known as Dick Slender, um, straight up murders your tag team partner in the middle of the ring and informs you that he killed your coach too. Of course, though, the game ends after your match with Flair, after you beat him. And as the new crown world champion, you stand alone in the ring, having lost everything and everyone you ever cared about. Surrounded by cheering fans and having attained your dream at last, you wonder, was this really worth it? Three days, cut to three days later in your own home, your character, trigger warning, shoots yourself, themselves, in the head. <laughs> Sorry, that's not funny. It's absurd, which is why I'm laughing it's absurd. a little bit. It's this is a this is a 1994 Super Nintendo game. Everybody just want to let it just want to like reframe what Matt just said here. Like he just described a really messed up artsy Netflix like movie, but it's really an SNES game from 1994. Yep, yep, yeah, kind of kind of remarkable. Um, it sounds like yeah, like a really fucked up black comedy, dark comedy movie almost. Um, just like tragedy. Um, because I, I say black comedy because I think if Sue 51 were to write this, he tried to make it a black comedy. Oh, but really, sure. it's just a tragedy. Um, really, really just kind of awful. Um, and kind of just gives you an idea of what might be going on there in the mind of uh, Suda 51. Um, kind of just an interesting note too. He originally did want the game to have two different endings, but then he decided he wanted just one conclusive ending. And I just find it fascinating that this is the ending that he settled on, whatever reason that may be at the end of the day. <laughs> so, um, and of course, yeah, he started getting letters written in, um, you know, people just complaining to him about the game's ending naturally. And of course, this is enough to put him on the put him on the on the map as a game developer as a director. Uh, obviously, he got some notoriety for this. Um, you know, no such thing as bad publicity, I suppose, and it really put him on the map. So, uh, eventually, after you know working with Human on some Super Fire games, he went to he made Grasshopper actually. Um, he made Grasshopper, which was his own, um, own game studio. And he actually got the name Grasshopper because, you know, in, in, in game devs, uh, I, I, these gaming companies, something that's been tried and true back then and is tried and true now is they work insane hours. Um, the days are insane and, you know, he was working there all day. He would nap at work regularly. But one thing that he always did consistently was listen to a UK band called Ride with a song called Grasshopper. And he chose to go oh. with Grasshopper for his first company, game company's name, because he didn't want to forget what it was like to, you know, work those kind of, you know, be in that situation um, and to work 
in that kind of environment and That's to cool. you know not kind of lose sight of what it was like to make his first game. Yeah. I love so, the Grasshopper logo. I think it's dope. Like it's like a human and it's actually it kind of changes from game to game, but it's just like a man's face with like hair, like a like a kind of a realistic looking man's face and then like wings sprouting out, like these really intricate looking wings. And yeah. it's it says Grasshopper Manufacturer. That's like the full name of the of the developer. And like on one of them, I think it's on uh, No More Heroes. It's like the logo's repurposed as like an emblem, and it says "Punk's Not Dead." It just says like Grasshopper <laughs> Manufacturer, Punk's Not Dead. Like that's the logo for the company, which is yeah, really it's cool. Definitely quite quite unique as far as logos go for sure. Yeah. So once they got over to um, once he got over to Grasshopper. Um, he started working on his first game, which was the silver case that came up for the PlayStation originally. It was an adventure visual novel. Um, and just kind of an interesting note with this game, you know, something that really stood out, I was watching an interview with him about it. And something that really stood out to me was just kind of how far we've come in games. You know, he was talking about how back then, like just to even help someone edit and like put together the visuals for the game to get someone to do that was so challenging because people just still didn't just fully understand games and like what they were. They were still kind of seen as a very niche thing. And it's just wild how different that is from today where we regularly have, you know, for better or for worse, like star, you know, celebrities and stars, you know, acting and starring in these games, huge people, um, Hollywood people in some cases, we'll get into that a little bit, Hollywood people in some cases working on, um, some of these games and just really, really quite remarkable in that in that regard. Where how far we've come. Um, so he released his silver case, but the the big one comes in on June 9th, two thousand and five, when he releases Killer Seven. Um, first international game launch. So really, what kind of you know, um, Super Fire Pro Wrestling Special kind of got him noticed in Japan. And then this game is really what kind of got him noticed, um, you know, worldwide, I should say, you know, and really kind of brought Suda 51, brought Grasshopper Studios to the forefront and made it a household name as far as game developers go. Um, and due to the connections he's made, you know, Killer7 was actually um, part of the Capcom 5, Lucas. Yes, I remember this which, one. The... Uh, mm -hmm. I think only three were ever really released, though, because one got can. I think mm -hmm. one or two got canceled. Yes, and yeah, the Capcom Five was originally um, five video games unveiled by Capcom in late two thousand two, with the aim of boosting hardware sales on the GameCube, um, and really just kind of showing off the um, you know third party development options available for those on GameCube, and really kind of boost them um within the sphere there so really quite remarkable and this is the first game too that he truly felt like he had um at least you know complete freedom as far as like the direction he wanted to take the game um and really kind of like the art direction and the story direction and i think that really shows because he even talks himself about how he wasn't so much focused on the gameplay itself, but it was really focused on the presentation of the game, right? And the visuals. Mm -hmm. And I think that is very, very clearly shown and obvious if you've ever played that game. Uh, again, if you haven't already, go back and listen to our Killer7 episode. Kind of like a time capsule in and of itself. That's one of the first episodes we ever did for the podcast. So 
highly recommend going back, giving that one a listen. Really, really good episode. And Killer Seven is just a phenomenal game. Uh, really yeah. fun to learn about it. And side note: so the Capcom Five were uh, Killer Seven, uh, Resident Evil Four, Piano Three, uh, and Beautiful Joe. The fourth, the fifth one, Dead Phoenix, is the one that was canceled. So you know, games Dead made Phoenix, by Capcom okay. specifically for the GameCube to show off its uh, hardware power, and eventually those games did come. I know Resident Evil went to PS2, and Beautiful Joe eventually came out on other systems, and and its sequels did, of course, too. But um, Killer Seven, I don't believe has had a formal remake um, in any console except for uh, PC. Is that right? Yes. Um, I'm going to say yes. I, I don't think it has had I, any meaningful I don't, releases. I don't think it has because I remember when we were doing the Killer 7 episode, it was like, the only place to play it was like on a on Steam, really, uh, which isn't bad, you know. So oh, it's, it's come cool. out on the PS2. Oh, it did come out on PS. Oh, it came out on the PS2 quite a bit later, though, no? And it was like a bad port. That's what it was. Um, I oh, could man, be wrong. Been... I think it might have come out actually with... At every when everything else came out, but it was just like a really, it was really inferior relative to the GameCube version. I remember the port being. Now that now that you're saying it, I do remember from researching on the Killer Seven episode that it was a tough uh, port. That typically people didn't play that one. I forget. I forget specifically why. Um, yeah, Capcom Five. Interesting time in gaming when like it really like you needed to strike deals like that. <laughs> it's like kind of a really a look, right. look back in time to like how different things were hardware developer wise. Yeah. Much, uh, much different times for sure. So killer seven, again, go back, listen to the episode. Absolutely incredible. There's really nothing else like the, that game out there. Um, so after killer seven, the next big project he went on to release and work on was no more heroes. Um, now, you know, when he was making Killer Seven, he did have a lot of creative freedom. And he he got to put the flair he wanted to it, um, but he he definitely exhausted himself working on Killer Seven. You know, it was just kind of like he, he described it truly as it eventually did truly become like work, and he wasn't really having any fun doing it. So his goal with No More Heroes was just to have a lot of fun um, and have a lot of fun with the game. And in his own words, not mine, making this game was quote like taking a shit. I got it all out and it felt great. Um, so he really took the time and had the, you know, had the opportunity to put everything he wanted to into a game and really took advantage of that with no more heroes. Um, I forget Lucas, have you played no more heroes? Uh, yeah, I played the original no more heroes and beat it on the, yeah. So the maybe you can give a better synopsis than I can, but basically it's like a, crazy otaku guy that looks like johnny knoxville because suda 51 really liked johnny knoxville <laughs> and he just that. gets um he gets his hands on a lightsaber and it's just kind of like all right let's let's fuck yeah right <laughs> no yeah so it's it's a really really unique game i i think it really does exemplify like a lot of things that make suda 51 like a really unique video game voice um, you know, the so the main character you play as Travis Touchdown, who is like an assassin in this world where there's like a, a ranked, a, like a assassin ranking. Um, and it's called like UAA, like United Assassins Association or whatever. And Travis, uh, is sort of like a free roaming assassin, but he's like kind of just a loser. He just like is a stereotypical otaku. He lives in a city called Santa Destroy, California, which is supposed to be like a, a coastal California city, like Santa Monica or something. Um, and he later lives in a motel. 
he collects anime figures. Uh, he's really into wrestling. So like a lot of the moves that you do in the game are like really sick wrestling moves. Like takedowns are like body slams and like pile drivers <laughs> and stuff like that. Um, yeah, he literally wins like a basically a lightsaber at an auction. It's not. It's kind of like elaborated on a little bit in the game. Uh, he wins like a beam katana and it's a basically a lightsaber. He kills number 11 on the list and uh, number 11 on the assassins list. And then the like spokesperson for UAA, Sylvia Crystal, who Travis thinks is really hot and wants to sleep with, tells him there's like 10 people above you. And if you kill the 10 assassins before above you, you'll become the number one assassin in the world. And like he just says, if I do it, will you sleep with me? And that's the premise of the game is like, yeah, he's trying to become the number one assassin, but he's literally just kind of motivated by sleeping with this chick. Um, and he's got heavy, heavy Johnny Knoxville energy. He's like insane, but he's also like a really great killer. And uh, every level is basically like, you know, you go through a level, you fight through a bunch of henchmen and then you fight the boss who's like a really unique uh, assassin uh, in the game. And it's pretty, it's pretty cool. Hell yeah, yeah. And yeah, when he was talking about his inspiration for um, the main character, he literally described, he's like, well, I kind of thought, you know, what if Johnny Knoxville was a huge otaku and had his, got his hands on a lightsaber? And then that <laughs> the game was born from that. Um, so good. That was really funny. You know, in the interview, I was, one of the interviews I was watching on when I was researching this, he, he really made a point to go into how the beam katana he has was not inspired by Star Wars. He he like he says it like three times and he's like, oh, it's not it's not a no, no, I didn't get that from Star Wars no because that'd be problematic yeah <laughs> that'd, that'd be a legal issue you know so no it's not Star Wars you know it's a Beam Katana I got it from a TV show called um, Detective Gavon from Japan Star Wars no yeah uh, that'd be problematic <laughs> so it's just like all right he got it from Star Wars <laughs> yeah uh, but I just thought that was really. Really funny, kind of a, a quirky guy. Like I was mentioning earlier, really kind of just beats to his own drum and mm -hmm. does his own thing. But yeah, I thought that was really funny. Um, just to, so after, sorry, real quick, just to, I just want to frame yeah, yeah. No More Heroes a little bit more because I, I, I've never got a chance to talk about this game and I actually really love it. Um, like just to give you guys like an idea of like where Suda's head is at, like some of the bosses you fight, the first boss you fight is like a rich assassin guy living on like a coastal mansion named Death Metal. He has like a 10 foot, 20 foot long sword. Uh, next guy you fight is this, a guy named Destroy Man. He's like a superhero, um, like a deadly superhero. Then you fight Dr. Peace at the stadium, at the local baseball stadium, who's like a dual wielding gun guy. Uh, you fight somebody named Bad Girl. You fight somebody named Speedbuster. Uh, you fight mm -hmm. somebody named Shinobu. You fight someone named Holly Summers. And you fight someone named Henry. Those are like, those are the boss names and they're, they're all like, have their a super unique, like you fight them in like abandoned cities, abandoned schools. Um, you fight people in like baseball stadiums on the beach, um, in abandoned warehouses, coastal mansions. It's like really, really creative energy coming out of like all these boss fights and designs and stuff. And there's like really interesting dialogue about like paradise and the afterlife, like before every boss, um, you know, interesting conversations about like death and killing, but ultimately Travis touchdown is like kind of an idiot. So it's like a lot of it's kind of lost on him as like the main character. So there's a lot of charm in the game. Um, and of course there's like a huge series, there's four games. So this is uh, the yeah. only one I've played. Yeah. Yeah. I might have to do, I have to play it for the pod at some point. I think it'd be a fun one uh, to run, run. Yeah. Through, I think, um, yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, and those are kind of like a lot of a couple of the big ones he's made. He made another one called Shadow of the Dam, um, released in June twenty first, twenty eleven. Um, he, I don't know why he really wanted to talk about this one because he just wanted to kind of shit on EA, basically <laughs> complaining how difficult it was to work with EA and how they kept trying to rework his script. Uh, I just thought that was kind of funny. And then he also made and worked on uh, Lollipop Chainsaw, which I don't know. I like Lollipop Chainsaw. A game like that would have been one of the games that. Oh, it's like one of those what were like those beach volleyball games that we were talking about in the bro catch at the other day uh just like slasher like hypersexualized hypervolent slap like yeah 2010 like it would have been a game where when i went to my blockbuster growing up i would just stare at it yeah and like look at it on the wall and be like yeah. what is this like how is this a game you know <laughs> and that's kind of what lollipop chainsaw is it's just kind of like a crazy i think it's just a girl running around with a chainsaw it's literally just schoolgirl, like cheerleader schoolgirl, short skirt zombie apocalypse chainsaw it's like as yeah. kind of grotesque like balls to the walls like non-subtle as it can get it was weird you know this was around the time when like every game was like a button masher slashy game there was like uh that game mad world that came out there was like i don't know if it was was it called darksiders uh, there was like so many slasher games back in like the early 2000s in like the Xbox 360 era. It was insane. And this was just kind of part of that wave, weirdly enough. Yeah. Yeah. Just a crazy game um, released in June 12th, 2012. And notably, um, this actually had James Gunn brought on as a writer, which I don't know. I just kind of think fits perfectly. Um James Gunn has taken a lot of flack over the past couple of years for um, kind of just being, I don't know if it's outright misogynistic. I don't have the exact, it might be, I don't have the tweets in front of me to know exactly what the issues were, but basically just got a lot of flack for, I think just having a lot of non simply put just non PC tweets and offensive <laughs> tweets back in yeah. the day. And I think, you know, when you look at a game like Lollipop Chainsaw, it kind of is just like, yeah, that makes sense that he worked on this game. Um, and of course, most notably is, um, you know, James Gunn has most recently worked on, uh, of course, Guardians of the Galaxy. That's really kind of what shot him, um, shot really made him his fame recently. And he's also worked on the most recent Suicide, The Suicide Squad that came out. Um, not Suicide Squad, The Suicide Squad. Uh, it's kind of funny. He actually talks about how he got a lot of his, his inspiration for how he depicts Harley Quinn from Lollipop Chainsaw. Um, so I thought that was a little, little fun fact. And then he still has a great friendship uh, with Suda. The two are still good friends. Suda talks about him quite a bit, it seems. Um, cool. Cool. He actually got invited. He invited Suda to the most recent Guardians of the Galaxy premiere. So clearly they keep up still. And I really hope those two make a game together sometime. I'd be really interested to see what... Uh, you know, what's what he's up to these days, uh, yeah. what kind of game he would influence these days. But yeah, and then most recently, um, he released No More Heroes 3, which I believe didn't really, wasn't really too well received. Yeah, um, I, I think it's probably one of those divisive things. Um, you know, IGN gave it a six, GameSpot gave it a four, Destructoid gave it an 8.5 though, and Easy Allies, or EGM gave it a four stars out of five, which means it's probably worth playing. Um, and it's the quote I have here is if you're looking for core meaning or truth, you might not find it. Um, it's just more about like emotion and style. 
Um, so, you know, uh, it, it just could be one of those games that's just divisive. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. Um, yeah, that's what he's worked on most recently. And I'm sure he's got something else cooking right now. Um, you know, what that'll be or what form that'll take, who knows, will we ever get our Killer 7 sequel? Killer 8? Probably not. Um, but yeah, that's kind of Suda 51 summed up. Uh, I thought this would just be a fun one to kind of talk about, you know, break him down a little bit. And Lucas, I know you have a, a good knowledge of him as well, so that'd be fun to talk to. And I really just want to say, you know, I, I, I think, again, and I, I really do think creators like Suda 51 are so important because if we just had everyone making the next Call of Duty, right, or the next... Fortnite, Apex, whatever it may be, I think things would get pretty bland. Um, yeah. And, you know, game developers like Suda51 are important. Um, his wacky mind is important. His quirkiness is important. And I'm glad I'm glad he's around. Yeah, me too. Uh, me too. I mean, we, we talked about it a little bit in, in the Killer7 episode, but like just to kind of frame that one too, you know, game comes out in 2005. It's like sort of a hyper-violent assassin political thriller game you know it's like it's about these invisible monsters that when they touch you like they explode and kill you you know and like mm -hmm. i think it was like a very at that time like when, even when you go back and play killer seven now it's like very relevant to the fears that we had of like terrorism and like suicide bombing all around the world yeah you know at that time yeah. and like the game is all about that you know and it's like i think Suda, there like there's some comedy in Killer Seven, and there's like a lot of comedy and humor in in No More Heroes. But I think Suda is like probably the most interesting when he's trying to be like really, really deep. He's sort of like a mm -hmm. he really reminds me of David Lynch. Like for those of you that have ever seen like Mulholland Drive or like Twin Peaks, it's like very like coded sometimes like dialogue that's like a very like nonsense style dialogue about something really deep, <laughs> but like stylized and interesting and kind of mysterious and Suda kind of really runs off that as an engine. Um, and you know, he's, he's kind of hasn't had like the best hit list of stuff, you know, like all time, you know, lollipop chainsaw, I think was just like this weird fun thing that he did, but like just kind of put it, put it down a little bit in terms of like being taken seriously. It, it's it's kind of weird that his first game is his most seriously taken game. And over the years, it's just yeah. kind of become like a little bit more fun, a little bit more fun, a little bit more silly. Um, funny enough, Goichi Suda does have a credit on Super Smash Brothers Brawl in the special thanks uh, zone. So, you know, oh, I think he's a well-connected yeah. guy. And, uh, you know, obviously like homies with James Gunn. And, uh, you know, I think he's, he's not... He's not ever going to be done as a video game developer. I think there's just just got to be something that like he takes it back to the seriousness of of the Killer Sevens. Um, although it was a long time ago, I think it's uh, I think it's yeah. possible. Yeah, yeah, I incredible guy, and yeah, I mean, whatever he does in the future, I am excited to see it. Yeah. All righty, Lucas, do you have anything else you wanted to add on? Uh, really, that that was it. You know, if you guys are fans of like. David Lynch, Quentin Tarantino, punk music. Uh, you're basically going to like most Suda 51 games. I, you'll at least have like a good time kind of kind of just absorbing like a No More Heroes. Like, I mean, No More Heroes 3 is on Switch. Really interesting premise, cool looking game. And, you know, I'll, I'll probably end up picking that one up at one point or another. And uh, if you want to go back really far, Killer7 is should go down like in both my and Matt's opinion as just one of the most unique uh, and interesting games probably ever made. 
and it's, yeah, it's always worth like a, a, a second look and you know a real real dissection and stuff like that and pretty underrated so uh, just if you're ever looking for something strange to go down the rabbit hole suda 51 and some of his games worth it that's what i got absolutely love it all right everyone uh, i think that wraps up our episode again as a reminder you can find us online at tfp podcast that's at tfp podcast with an s at the end on twitter instagram tiktok uh you can find our website thanksplain.live and on all of those you can find our discord coming out it's a good time it's just an email thanksplainpod.gmail.com if you want you can find me on twitter at good idea matthew or on t- tiktok TikTok. Uh, We're on TikTok. Good idea. Matt. Uh, Lucas, where can the good people find you? You could find me on Instagram at good idea Lucas. Uh, shoot me a DM. Shoot me a follow. Like my photos. Watch my stories. Uh, you can also check me out on Discord. Shoot me a DM. Uh, you know, talk through some stuff. Uh, League. Uh, Magic. Destiny 2. Get into that. Of course, Suda51. Um, yeah, hang out in the Discord. It's a good time. I'm really jealous that you got good idea, Lucas, for your Instagram handle. I I really want to. I want good idea, Matt, really bad, but it's taken. I could do good idea, Matthew, but I don't know if I want to do that. What do you mm. think? Yeah, One of these days, days, you'll have One enough influence. Days. Maybe I'll just, to just bite the bullet. Him, you know, right? Yeah. <laughs> Everyone, right. this has been. Thanks for playing. Catch you next time. Scooby Bop. Thanks for playing as a production of Good Ideas Only. Your hosts are Lucas Luna and Matt Rockaby. Our music was done by the impeccable Samuel Luna. And our logo design was done by the talented Isaac Palestino. Special thanks to the Roll Call Bunch and Red Circle 